Hello. Hello and welcome to the Farm and Feast podcast number two. Yes, number two and we're at the end of the season. What's going on? Um, This month we continue our elemental theme and I will mainly be talking about water. Is there anything more glorious than a glass of icy cold water when you're really hot and thirsty? Well, actually, yeah, I think I think a, a pint of cold beer is better than that. But hey, beer is 95 percent water, so it's practically the same thing. Uh, it's like delicious food when you're really, really hungry or a wee after a really long car journey. <laughs> I bet you didn't think that the uh, the key to contentment and experiencing the natural highs of life was going on a really long car journey. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting entirely off topic before we've even started. Um. So the fact that here on Earth we're an appropriate distance from the sun to create conditions where water can exist in all its in all its states as a handy liquid in the seas and lakes and as gas um, which form clouds and then can move across the planet and uh, produce rain and obviously as ice. Um, that fact is often quoted as the reason for abundant life developing on planet Earth. Um, which is kind of a bit crazy, really. Um, you know, just a happy coincidence. My mind is entirely blown if I even try to think about what life might look like if it was based on some other planet, based on some other chemical as its kind of fundamental thing. Um, so I'm not going to even bother to think about that because uh, it'll uh, um, mess up my brain. Uh, but basically, I know that water is really important for all living things here on Earth. Um, and this corner of the temperate region of uh, the Northern Hemisphere, otherwise known as two miles outside St. Field, County Down, Northern Ireland, um, well, it's a pretty good place for life. Um, and a big reason for that is because it rains quite a lot. It is really noticeable, the difference between London um, and here. I grew up in London and Erin and I lived there until 2016 and it really is drier in London. Um, I cycled to work almost every day and I almost never got rained on and you definitely have to water your plants loads if you want them to grow whereas here um, in Northern Ireland in just outside Stanfield County Down in a good year I basically don't water outdoor plants grown in the ground at all well that's not quite true I I should water them a bit more than I do but basically overall with a bit of rainwater collection um, we get all the water we need to grow abundant healthy plants Um, and that's awesome I mean it's the reason why the landscape here is green and the landscape in other bits of uh, the world are not how lucky are we as with everything it feels like I've learned bits and pieces about water as I've been uh, studying and growing up and working. And then in the last few years of growing vegetables, of being outside and connected to the land and all that stuff, it's all sort of come together and given me a, a better understanding of, of the whole. Um, maybe that's why I'm going through a kind of smug phase of life, um, an all-knowing smug phase of Joe's life. Anyway, um at university, while studying 
environmental engineering. I did general engineering, but then specialised in, in some environmental engineering modules. I learned about groundwater, um, primarily in the context of contaminated land, groundwater being something that carries contamination from A to B. Um, and you need to be able to understand how water is uh, moving and where it's coming from and where it's going and all that fun stuff. Um, I'd never really thought about water travelling through the ground before that. Um, I'd learned about streams and rivers at school. Um, and I guess they're far more obvious because you can see them. Um, in terms of water, it, it obviously uh, heads downhill generally. Um, but whether it's water that is uh, underground or above ground, whether it's heading straight down or kind of sideways, um, that generally depends on the topography, i.e. the shape of the shape of the land, and also the soil and the bedrock. The bedrock being the solid, rocky stuff that sits underneath the soil that gradually, over the millennia, turns into soil. Um, some soils, so like solid clay, like hundred percent clay, um, are almost entirely impermeable um, to water. So water will not travel through clay. Um, at any speed at all. Um, so if you have a layer of clay, water will travel sideways over the top of it, or depending on the shape of it, it might just form a pond. Um, and then some some soils, so sandy soil, uh, with like bigger bits in it, that will let water run straight through it. So it is more free draining, um, and the water will seep right in. Uh, interestingly, here at the edible flower, well, I say interestingly, obviously, this is in the context of it being interesting to me. Um, we have uh, we have a, a clay loam. So a loam being a mixture of different uh, soil particles. But we have plenty of clay in our soil. Um, but we also have loads of stones and rocks in our soil. Um, when digging the foundation uh, for the foundation holes for the polytunnel uh, this spring, some of the holes I dug were incredibly free draining. Um, so you could like literally pour buckets of water in it and you could not keep up with how, how quickly it drained away. And that's where I'd basically connected up to kind of underground cavities in the bedrock. Um, so that's what, some of the holes were like that. And then some were incredibly easy to fill up with water. The soil are basically happily um, held onto the water for, for several hours and I could form a, a little pond. Um, this is in the context of like pouring co concrete um, uh, foundations for the for the um, uh, for the foundation tubes for the polytunnel. Um, so basically, uh, for horticulture, you want this kind of uh, seemingly um, impossible to achieve mixture of soil that is both free draining to avoid your roots of your plants getting waterlogged, but also moisture retentive. And that's because all plants, like all living things, need water to live. So plants need water all the time. Uh, they need a little bit of water uh, for photosynthesis. And photosynthesis happens during the daytime. So when it's light, plants photosynthesize and they need a tiny bit of water for that. If you remember your photosynthesis equation from uh, from school or wherever, um, uh, it, water is one of the ingredients for photosynthesis. How many times can I say photosynthesis in a tw 10 second period? Anyway, um, but way more water is needed for keeping the plants upright. Um, cell turgidity is really, really important. Um, 
the cells of the plant need to be uh, nice and full of water um, to keep plants upright. You have woody plants and they have kind of a woody structure, but lots of plants, herbaceous plants, um, and the, the like leafy bits on woody plants, they rely on cell turgidity, the um, kind of blown up balloon uh, of a cell. Does that make sense? Um, to, to keep plants uh, able to hold their leaves uh, up to, um, towards the sunlight for, for photosynthesis. And wilting is what happens when a plant doesn't have cell rigidity. Um, I'm sure everyone is familiar with what a wilting plant looks like, um, and that is a clear sign of water stress. Um, plants lose water through their stomata all the time. So those are uh, little, little holes in, um, in uh, stems and leaves, and um, water is lost through those through um, uh, transpiration. Um, plants can close their stomata uh, when they want to, um, which they do. Um, but basically, uh, whenever the stomata are open, plants need to continuously replace the water that they're losing from their leaves through um, uh, transpiration uh, by sucking it up through their roots. Um, if there's a bit of a lack of water coming up through the roots, then, as I said, the plants can close their stomata and uh, the, the gaseous exchange, gaseous, gaseous, not sure, um, the, the exchange of gases uh, from the outside environment to the inside environment within the leaves, that, that um, gas stops moving, which means there's no CO2 going inside the leaf, which means photosynthesis has to stop and, and therefore growth has to stop. Um, so what I'm saying is if you stop watering your plants and they get a little bit water stressed, they close the stomata and, uh, photosynthesis will have to stop. Not because they're not getting, they don't have water available coming up from their roots. It's because the, there's no supply of CO2. Um, so, uh, generally if you want your plants to grow all the time, uh, they need, uh, plentiful water. Um, so that's what happens if there's like a little bit of a lack of water as you get more of a lack of water, um, the, uh, the plant wilts. Um, and that is quite stressful. Um, it's, it's long stopped photosynthesizing, but it, it's uh, becoming water stressed and it's far more susceptible to pests and disease. Um, and actually, I'm a bit rubbish at watering my vegetables. Um, I know I've just said I kind of don't need to, but basically I'm... I want to use as little as water as possible because it's a precious resource and actually because it's really boring um, standing there with watering cans or a hose or whatever. Um, the key is watering a lot, not very often. Um, uh, and I'm talking about pl plants that are in the ground, um, i.e. not in pots. Pots are different. They dry out really quickly and do need watering quite often, kind of depending on the weather. But for plants in the ground... Um, it's tempting to stand uh, in dry periods, I'm talking about not when um, it's been raining lots, but for plants in the ground, it's tempting to stand there and water your plants for a few minutes every evening or morning um, and then go away and get on with your day. But all you're doing is wetting that first centimetre or so, or maybe even less, of soil or compost and then that water that sits in there will evaporate uh, before you repeat the process the next day. And what you need to do is stand there for an 
unbelievably large amount of time watering and watering again and waiting for it to soak in a bit and watering and watering again and water like it's so boring but basically you can tell whether you've got that if you just dig down a bit um and you'll see after a really 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 long time the water will have soaked in inches into the ground uh, and then it will be stored in that topsoil and then the next day or whenever the top bit will evaporate and you'll get a dry bit on top but the water below will be trapped there and will be available to the plant's roots for the next couple of weeks like genuinely water lots less often um so water well really well every fortnight when there is no rain um and i have to say despite knowing this and telling you that i know this I am so impatient. I still don't water properly. Um, my plants definitely suffer. They definitely grow less um, during the summer. Um, you know, once they start to wilt, I, I kind of sort myself out. But definitely if I watered more, I'd grow more prolific and, and uh, better plants. Um, but, you know, every year I say I will be better next year. I'd like to go from the inner workings of plants and water in plants uh, back out to water in the wider world. Uh, when I was working uh, for a little construction industry charity, um, a place called Syria, the uh, charity body, not the, not the country, um, I was there just after leaving university and I learnt a lot about sustainable urban drainage. Um, and uh, Sustainable Urban Drainage Systems, or SUDS, um, for it to give it its acronym. Um, they are systems that mimic natural systems to slow down and retain um, stormwater or, or rainwater. And, and the big reason we care about that is because of increased uh, risk and um, uh, increased uh, likelihood of flooding. Um, basically, the more we pave over surfaces or create buildings with roofs, with gutters and downpipes that take rainwater away really quickly, um, the less like a natural system it is. It means that in the event of a rainfall event, a rainfall event, i.e. a storm, like some rain is what I mean. Uh, back at university, we had like data tables, like like actual physical books with of rain rain events. And you would look up and, you know, I need a a 10 minute storm uh, a, a one in 50 years 10 minute storm so uh, there would be this data and you'd you'd uh, look up the intensity of a 10 minute storm that happens once in every 50 years and i've long since thrown away these data data books um though i did need them for my uh, my uh, my exams at the time um but like they, they must be being re rewritten because um extreme weather events are getting more common with climate change Anyway, I'm getting off the point again. But basically, going back to our urban environment with lots of impermeable surfaces and uh, uh, drainage systems that take water away really quickly, when it does rain, um, basically, all that water gets funneled downstream uh, super fast and then downstream flooding happens. So in a natural system, uh, the, one, the, the type of thing that, that SUDS, or Sustainable Urban Drainage Systems, are trying to mimic... In a natural system, we have permeable soil covered in vegetation. And so every drop of rain is intercepted first by a leaf. And then the first 
uh, raindrops wet, wet the surfaces of the leaves and then the next ones might drip down from a leaf onto lower levels of vegetation and then eventually, um, a wee while later, some of that rain hits the ground and then it slowly wets the, the, the dead dying leaves on the ground um, and then that the ground slowly becomes wet and wet, uh, wetter and the rain soaks in. And soil that is rich in organic matter, i.e. The, the top bit of soil in a, in a natural system, that, that can hold on to huge amounts of water, even if it's really sandy soil, so one that is free draining. If that top bit is full of, of um, humus or you know, dead organic matter, then a lot of water can be retained. And all this slowing down of water by healthy vegetation and healthy soil means that even in a big rainfall event where, say, you have a month's rain in a day, um, the, the, those are way less of a big deal downstream. Whereas in an urban area that's been designed, you know, traditionally, I feel like the Victorians were, were lots of the, the drainage systems in London where I uh, used to be working, lots of the, the drains were Victorian drains but they were all designed to whisk water away from where you didn't want it really quickly. Funneling it into pipes of a limited size, you know, pipes are fundamentally, you know, a certain size, um, and they would take the water downhill to some unsuspecting area or river just outside the city limits. And if you get a lot of rain um, in a short space of time, the city, the urban area might be okay, your car park won't flood, or your, um, you know, your rooftop doesn't flood, but downstream it can't cope. Pipes overflow and rivers overflow and terrible flooding happens. So suds, um, they mimic natural systems by trying to slow down water. Um, one option is to uh, have living systems, so a green roof or a swale, or it might just be oversized pipes. So when I was working in in Argent, a little property developer that I worked for in London for, for many years, um, I was in charge of building a new road um, in King's Cross, the big project that I spent pretty much all of my uh, career working on, um, a, a road called King's Boulevard. Um, uh, you can go visit it and, you know, take a photo of it, see if it's still there. It is still there. Anyway, th there are unbelievably massive drains that we put in underneath the um the road of king's boulevard and like these are like bigger than you can imagine i mean that's not true you can imagine because i'm going to describe how big they are but like imagine buses like back to back um a big row of buses uh buried underneath the road like these pipes were big enough to have a party in they were quite dark like i went down inside them um it would have been a quite a dark, sad party. But, you know, you could have fit, fitted in dozens and dozens of people. And basically, basically, these oversized pipes, they were just there so that uh, in the event of heavy rain, they would slowly fill up, but only allow kind of a trickle of water out of them. Um, so it was allowing us to basically tick our sustainable drainage box um, by saying, yes, this little bit of London is is not contributing to flooding downstream because it retains um, a vast quantity of, of water. So your suds thing might be a massive pipe but it also might be a green roof, um, even a you know a, um, a water butt. 
connected to a downpipe is in some way attenuating rainwater, slowing it down um, and causing less, less issues downstream. Even just designing a car park to flood in an extreme event rather than designing it to not flood has a massive impact on the amount of flooding downstream. So uh, designing to allow a bit of flooding upstream, um, you know, it, it, it um, alleviates the problem. It shares the problem across a, a, a larger area. Uh, so yes, there's kind of um, suds options that involve vegetation, suds options that don't involve uh, vegetation, but um, it's all good stuff. In terms of agricultural land, um, you know, it's not so different to the issue of urban drainage. A bare field of recently ploughed soil is not so different to a paved over car park. Um, yes, there is some slowing effect on rainwater in, in, the, um, in the field because fundamentally soil does allow some water to, to um, drain into it. Though, having said that, if the, if the soil is really dry, um, then it is really hard to get rainwater to soak into really dry soil and you do get massive amounts of, of runoff. Um, and if it's non-organic, that runoff may contain pesticides and fertilisers and the particulate matter, you know, bits of soil as well, all of which um, potentially have uh, uh, rubbish um, effects on your, your waterways downstream. If you compare kind of the, the runoff pattern of a, of a, a field of ploughed soil to one of a, a fully um, vegetated forest, you know, you can imagine it is a very, very different thing. Um, and somewhere between those two extremes sits, um, sits the edible flower on our fairly vegetable-covered um, soil with lots of trees and shrubs and aspirations for an edible forest and, and all that jazz. Um, but basically, everything that we're doing here um, is about uh, creating healthy soil. Health, healthy soil means full of organic matter, which means full of the ability to hold on to water. Um, it means protecting, uh, protecting the soil with a layer of compost. It means growing, uh, trying to keep um, beds full of plants um, so that we have um, vegetation intercepting rainwater. Um, I mean, it's not, not purely from a rainwater perspective. It's actually because soil that has plants living in it is going to be um, maintain its health better than soil that is, that is empty. Um, but, you know, we are thinking about mimicking um, natural environments, uh, not only in our soil health, but also in our, in our um, rainwater management. And one day I will um, finally finish my risk assessment for rainwater harvesting and get it sent off to the Department of Agriculture and I will connect up my massive water butts and we will have more, more, um, more, more rainwater to, to um, use for irrigation during those uh, increasingly um, uh, frequent few weeks of um, drought that we're getting in the summer. Um, part of the reason that I haven't quite done that is actually water is quite cheap um so uh yes um it is definitely a precious resource um but if you look at it both in kind of monetary terms um how much you pay as a, a commercial user for water but also in in carbon footprint terms um it's actually uh, quite a, a a cheap thing compared to say um energy or you know the difference between uh, the carbon footprint of a pint of cold water versus a, a, a pint of boiling water is unbelievably high. So um, 
So yes, I'm my focus is getting things energy efficient um, and having uh, shorter hot showers than it is to um, uh, think about um, saving every last drip of water. Um, though having said all that, there is something kind of fundamentally wrong about using drinking water for flushing your toilets and for irrigation. Um, you know, it feels like that is a waste of something that has been uh, processed and uh, kept clean to a very high degree. Um, though obviously irrigation water, going back to my risk assessment for um, the Department of Agriculture, irrigation water does need to be clean enough. Um, uh, so yes, um, rain is pretty amazing. Water is pretty amazing. Living in Northern Ireland where it's rainy is all pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, there you go. Water. It's awesome stuff. <laughs>